The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its host are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome back to the second hour of Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I want to thank our sponsors uh, for making this show economically viable. For the second hour of today's show, our sponsors are American Bonanza, Brazil Resources, Helio Resources, Lucky Strike Resources, Merrick's Gold, Metanor Resources, Paramount Gold, Marathon Gold, Meadow Bay Gold, and Rye Patch Gold Corp. Well, when we went to break, uh, we were talking here to Dr. Coleman about, I mentioned the Bilderberg Group, and I, uh, I would just like to see if you can, what I've learned about the Bilderbergs, uh, or at least what I think I've learned about the Bilderbergs, is that they are very much um, a group that is uh, not controlled, well, I don't know controlled, but a large number of the royal of royalty of Europe is a part of the Bilderberg Group. I also uh, believe that they are that it is comprised of of a lot of top media people, former presidents and pr- prime ministers of various countries in the Western world. At least they're there. A lot of other very influential people, uh, and they are sworn to secrecy. They're not allowed to talk about what goes on at the Bilderberg meetings. But can you tell our listeners what you know about the, or just maybe basically briefly tell us what you know about the Bilderberg Group? Well, it's another arm of the Committee of 300, mm-hmm. and uh, its its purpose is to have this group, which will disseminate the orders of the Committee of 300, and have make sure that these orders are actually carried out. And I doubt whether anybody knows exactly what their agenda is. It's mm-hmm. not published anywhere. Sure. But this I gleaned from the British Museum in London, my source of reference, which... I don't think anybody in this country has had access to that. In fact, I seriously would question if they stepped forward and said they did, because it's extremely difficult mm-hmm. to get in there. Mm-hmm. It's not like some club you can just walk out and get membership of it. Yeah. And the same thing, I spoke about the Agnelli family, the Club of Rome, the same, exactly the same type of situation there. Mm-hmm. Well, these people are ancillary arms of the Committee of 300. Mm-hmm. That's the only way I can describe them. Mm-hmm. So, they, so when you talk about the, uh, the group of uh, 300, uh, the Committee of 300, we're talking about 300 different institutions and or individuals. Individuals and institutions, yes. Mm-hmm. So the Club of Rome would be one. The Bilderberg Group would be another. That's correct. And where would, uh, looking at the um, Council of Foreign Relations, which we spoke about earlier, where would they fit in? Would they be one of those members? They or are, would they because be they get all their orders from the Royal Institute of International Affairs at uh, Chatham House in London. And there again, these orders are sent down to, usually it's one of the top firms in Wall Street, 
random like it has been in Paris Morgan mm-hmm. and it's been from there they go by a messenger over to the president's office actually via the secretary of state where these orders are disseminated and read mm-hmm. now Americans are going to have a tough time believing this and I understand yeah. that but it's not for public knowledge it hasn't been up to now Mm-hmm. And so, of course, if you don't know something, or you're not well informed, or you don't know enough knowledge about, if you don't have enough knowledge about the particular subject, mm-hmm. it's your natural instinct it and say, well, I don't believe it. Mm-hmm. That's one of the reasons why they're so happy to leave it like that. Right, exactly. They don't want people to believe it anyway. No, they they it's best uh, that people don't don't uh, are not aware of it. Uh, I thought the prologue to your book, uh, the Committee of Three Hundred, really laid it out very well. Uh, you said, in the isolated lives we live, cut off from events in the next big city, and certainly knowing little about what takes place there or in other cities, let alone other countries, it is hard to envision the scope of this book. If one lives in a small community in Kansas, for instance. How much can one know about what is transpiring in Miami, Florida? The truth is very little, except what might be gleaned from media reports about some event that made the news. We do what most people do, see the world from the standpoint of our narrow view of it. We do not have adequate means to do otherwise. And so when information about events that seem beyond reality are brought to our limited experience and knowledge, we mistakenly think such information cannot be true. Uh, and, and so that's, that's what we, I mean, that's, we are very limited. And so when we, and, and so I guess the, the ruling elite can take advantage of that fact. But, but more than that, then it seems to me, I, I, I just have to keep getting back to Ron Paul's run for office and how the media has been really not, not reporting his, his real results and almost trying to squash it. And in one case in CNN, a reporter just recently was saying that she was frightened by Ron Paul's a surge in, in Iowa. Um, I mean, it, it seems to me that what's happened is, and I put it this way in sort of the promotion of this show, that the Queen of England has taken back her American colonies in the sense that this this is bigger than just a country, isn't it? This is this is multinational. We're talking about multinational interest here of this this group of three hundred, right? That's correct, indeed. And it's it's corporate primarily. Yes, it is. And, and, and these, then these to are... be afraid, this, these people, don't forget the media, uh, print and uh, television, these people are all paid to say these things. These are not their own original thoughts. They programmed, they told what to say. If yeah, you think that's... those little girls standing up there are doing all this out of their own thinking and their own original uh, thinking on the subject, then you, you are deceived yourself because... Yeah. If you look at them and see their backgrounds, there's no possible way that they could know this. Mm-hmm. Why right. should Ron Paul frighten anybody, especially a little little girl in the news office? Right, exactly. Why Why would he be threatening to her? Exactly. Uh, that's a good question, and I think more and more people in America are saying, why is Ron Paul threatening when he's talking about liberty? Exactly. Uh, obviously, the people that are threatened by liberty are the people that, that want to retain control, uh, let, let's talk about the Federal Reserve, for example, the Federal Reserve Bank, uh, which Ron Paul is, is uh, you know, very critical of and wants to have it examined, wants to have its books made public to the 
to the American well, I've, people. I've written the probably, I would think, one of the better books on the Federal Reserve. I've given a complete rundown of its history, the, uh, the, the meeting on the Bainbridge Island off the coast of Georgia. Yeah, the creature from Jekyll Island. Jekyll Island, yeah. Yes, we've had the author. Our very first show on this on this radio show back in March of 2009 was with the author, G. Edward Griffin, uh, from The Creature of Jekyll Island. I'm glad to hear you say that because it is a book that I've talked about in all of my talks around the, around the world when I talk in, in Asia, uh, in Europe, and here in, in Canada and the United States. I talk about The Creature from Jekyll Island because I think from an American's point of view, it goes to the very basic foundation and those 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 groups that are undermining the Constitution, that are trying to get rid of it, and you would tie in, I believe you would, correct me if I'm wrong, you would tie in the Federal Reserve with this group of 300, indirectly or directly? They're tied in directly because, first of all, there's no such thing as, as a Federal Reserve. There's no money in the United States to begin with. Mm-hmm. We have Federal Reserves. We don't have dollars. Because you look at the dollars, it's, it's not promise doesn't promise to pay anything. No, that's true. It's, a, it's, it's not even a promissory note. That's true. Nothing. That's true. You have no money in the United States. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you look at that island there, that retreat they went to, I thought, what on earth when I was not, not still investigating it, what are they doing at some island? And then I discovered it was one of the most luxurious destinations for anybody in the United States. Mm-hmm. And these delegates lived in the lap of luxury while they were formulating this treachery. Mm-hmm. Well, it was um, part of the payoff, I suppose. And I think a lot of the people that congregated there actually were, though, themselves quite wealthy, quite well-to-do, and, and very well-connected. Very wealthy. Very wealthy. To- All these men who went down in the SEAL train, they gave identities of Mr. Smith and Mr. Jones. But in reality, the people were... Of the uh, of the highest order. Mm-hmm. You know, we uh, doctor uh, we've had, um, as I say, G. Edward Griffin on this show, and he talked about another group, the Fabian Socialist in London, and he talked about the Fabian Socialist not having any uh, any difference of opinion about the end game with the Bolsheviks. And I'm reading in your book. I'm looking at chapter five of your book, and you mention I think it's chapter five or chapter six. Uh, you mentioned that uh, the so-called Bolshevik Revolution was financed entirely with money from Lord Alfred Milner and Kuhn Loeb, acting as a conduit for the Rockefellers through their puppet, uh, President Woodrow Wilson. And you say the Rockefellers' affiliates acted on instructions from the 300, uh, and as we know now, all they did was to set the stage with the USSR, the first experiment with a new world order inside a one-world government, which ended when Gorbachev was transferred, you put in quotes, transferred to the United States. Would you like to talk about that a little bit? I mean, this, this is, again, consistent with, with what uh, Griffin is talking about, in my view, is that there's, you know, these are, these are people known as capitalists, and yet they're, under, they're undermining, certainly undermining free market capitalism, the kind that Ron Paul would espouse, and really moving towards what I would consider more of a fascist uh, economic system or and, and with under the guise of a communist system, right? Would you agree with that? I would, but I'd like to talk a little bit and ask a question of you. Does Mr. Griffiths write anything about the Anglo-Boer War? Yes, I believe he does. I, I think he does write about some of that. He certainly writes about 
uh, he certainly writes about some of the questionable things that took place that got us into the First World War as well as the Second War. Um, well, this but, was 1899. It was long before the First World War. Yeah. 1899 to 1902. And again, I'll be mightily surprised if he's able to dig out. I, I went out to South Africa and I went to every battlefield and looked at the Anglo Boer War Museum. Yeah. And, uh, picked up a great deal of information by on-location visits of this war, which I think was the most important war of the turn of the century, the 20th going into the 20th century. You, uh, yeah, I, I didn't understand when you asked about Griffin's talk. I thought you were talking about the First War and the Second War. No, I don't know that he's written about I know that he's made a connection um, between South Africa and, uh, and the British throne and some of the things that, that have gone on, I think, maybe... The Fabian Socialist uh, with um, with some South African connections, but beyond that, no, I don't. I don't think he has. And uh, talked about the the earlier wars. Um, well, that's to me that's one of the most the greatest saga of human endurance. You had eighty thousand of these farmers. They never had a regular army, and uh, Victoria sent out the pride of the British army, four hundred thousand men from the, all of the, of the crack regiments. And as Rudyard Kipling said, we went out to, the Boer, to South Africa thinking we were going to te- teach the Boers, it's a Dutch word, it means farmers, teach them no end of a lesson. Instead of that, they taught us no end of a lesson. Hmm. And here you had 80,000 men. Some of them were not men, even the boys of 14 and 15, and older men up to the age of 70. Mm-hmm. And they fought the British to an absolute standstill, hmm. to where they were glad to sue for peace. Interesting. But they went out there with the intention of robbing the country of its gold reserves. Mm-hmm. The greatest gold reserves in the world are found in South Africa. Mm-hmm. They, have a, they have a ridge uh, called the White Water Ridge. In Dutch, it's called the Witwatersrand, the mm-hmm. White Ridge of... And beneath that is an endless seam of 200... Listen to this. 200 miles of gold seams. Mm-hmm. Not these tiny little seams where you have to crawl on your belly and pick at a few nuggets here and there. Mm-hmm. These are actually 20 feet high walls in which the, gaze, the, uh, the gold is, you can see the veins everywhere. I've been down in a 6,000 foot drop in a, a cage, they call them, and uh, that's where the miners work down below there. Mm-hmm. And they produce the better part of all the world's gold, and do it very, very efficiently as well. As well, the people South Africans be remarkable. Uh, Churchill was said of the Anglo War. He said that they were a mixture of squire and farmer. I don't think he could have had a higher title than that from Churchill. He had the greatest admiration for them. Mm-hmm. They actually captured Churchill and uh, kept him in prisoner for a while, and then they let him go back to England. Hmm. Well, that's interesting because South Africa, of course, had been known for its gold production. Are you saying that this is still gold that's there that hasn't been produced? Oh, there's and still if that's tons the case, and tons of who, gold. Who has control of those of those of that uh, major well, uh, it deposit? Well, of course, uh, under the control of the City of London and the financiers there, Rhodes were sent out to take control of that whole operation, and by the uh, oh, what are those people? I can't quite remember their name now. Yeah, Rhodes. That's Rhodes right, and, and Griffin's but work, he was uh, under the control of a certain Rhodes. group of people in the city of London. They mm-hmm. financed his trip 
And when he tried to force them into an agreement, that's when the war broke out. Mm -hmm. They said we will not be dictated to by the British, especially the British, and uh, the small little guerrilla army, never numbering more than 80,000 men, boys and younger and older men, they fought the British to a complete standstill. Mm. So so the British uh, got more than they bargained for. Yes, that's all in my book, The Committee of 300, by the way. Uh, well, I have a great deal of reading to do because I haven't gotten to that part yet. Um, well, in any event, uh, it seems to me, so uh, let me just ask you, though, is, is it your understanding that much of that gold remains there and because South Africa has declined in its gold production compared to some other countries in recent years? That's only because they're not mining at all. Because yeah. the prices, it's like anything else, when demand is low, then production is going to fall. Yeah. Demand is high, then it will rise. Well, we're in a bull market of a lifetime for gold right now, and there may be some other issues in, in South Africa that is keeping it from happening. I don't know. But but uh, what you're saying is it's certainly believable that there's an awful lot of gold left in South Africa. Oh. Well, okay, so um, we've had... We've had some other people on this show that I think also uh, provide a message that's very consistent with what you're talking about. Uh, another author that we've had on this show named John Perkins, who's written a book called The Confessions of an Economic Hitman, talks about how the spoils of World War II uh, you know, went to, in the form of, of the IMF, the World Bank, and, and other institutions that were used to finance and to encourage third world dictators to take on huge amounts of debt so that they would become debtors and hence could be owned by these institutions does that sound does that sound like a likely like a like a likelihood to you yes i think that's very feasible and and so we're talking about you know john uh perkins talking about how in fact uh the uh, you know his job as a hitman was to try to convince third world dictators to take on a major project like a dam, a highway system, an airport system, or whatever, get them hopelessly in debt, then they would have to sell their raw materials. So, uh, and, and then further, John's been on our show more recently, talks about how the same thing has taken place in America with American citizens, where they've gotten Americans so hopelessly in debt that now they own them, the Americans as well, the American people. That makes sense to you? It does. That makes a good deal of sense, yes. Now we've had some um we've had Robert Prechter on this show who is a, a financial analyst and he's a, also an observer of of social trends and he he uh suggests that what we are in for is a major cataclysmic decline in the equity markets. Um another person a, a British uh and Canadian citizen Ian Gordon is going to be on our guest next week Ian also is an observer of, of long-term history and, and economic history, and Ian believes that the Dow could very easily go to 1,000. Uh, Prechter's predicting 600 on the Dow. I mean, these are kinds of numbers that would just, that would just really uh, cause enormous poverty among huge numbers of Americans. We do yes, see well, a hollowing out. Right of outside middle. of my field, I don't profess to know any about, anything about those types of... Uh, Okay, okay. But, studies this right outside of my field altogether. Sure, sure, but let me ask you this, because you talk about the new feudal system or a feudal system that is reemerging, I believe, or some such language. I, I don't see my notes here exactly. But what is taking place now in 
uh, in the new world order. It seems to me that we are seeing a hollowing out, a hollowing out of the middle class in the, in America. Would you agree with that? Well, we're not supposed to have any classes, of course, in America. America is a classless society. We're not supposed to have any titles. Yeah. And I don't know where this middle class comes from. Mm-hmm. Where this is, uh, what is origin of class? Mm-hmm. Well, we've had people of average means in America in the past, right? Right. And it seems to me that we're having a larger number of people that are struggling and having the difficulty making ends meet, and we're having a small number of people that are doing extremely well. Would you agree with that? Well, that's that's a given. There's one percent, the so-called one percent. Yes, yeah. yes, that's been since I don't know how where, how far back that goes. It goes back forever. Yeah, it, it always probably been the does. But it, it, I can remember the money. The, you go into any town, any city, and you find this group is controlling everything. Yeah, mayor, the police, everything that's happening in that town, that city is controlled by them, and it's 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 the one percent. Yeah, and that's really been going on for. For, for ages and ages and ages. Well, I agree. There's always been a ruling elite. Uh, it, it just seems to me that we've seen a concentration of more of that in the United States in recent years since the 50s and the 60s. But let's let that one alone. That's another topic because I see we only have about four minutes before we have to go to break and before we have to conclude our discussion today. There's so much more to talk to you about. But I wanted to talk a little bit or get you to talk a little bit about the Kennedy assassination. You indicated to me you think this is one of the most important events in recent American history. Talk to us about the Kennedy assassination. Who do you think was behind it and why was he taken out of our lives? Well, the Kennedy assassination is a very complex affair. It's not just somebody hiding up in the in the building and firing at Oswald. The poor guy was accused of that. Of course, he couldn't have hit a, a side of a barn, especially with an old Monlech, a 7.65 World War II Italian rifle. Mm-hmm. And uh, Kennedy was blasted by uh, a very high-powered rifle, and he was not shot from the back, he was shot from the front. Mm-hmm. What is the fact that the back of his head was blown out? Then we have this tremendous intrigue about all the x-rays disappearing and why his body was uh, moved when it should have stayed in Texas, should never have been allowed to be moved according to the laws of Texas. Mm-hmm. But they whipped it out of Texas as fast as they could go. And it's a complex subject which will take uh, a broadcast on its own virtually for me to deal with effectively. Of course it would, but uh, but can you get to can you perhaps suggest why would somebody want him out of the way? Who was he an enemy to? Well, Kennedy was bucking the Federal Reserve. He said, "Who are these people from Chatham House from Asia, from Europe to dictate to me? I'm the president of the United States. Nobody's going to dictate to me." And he began printing U.S. money, and he'd already ordered about two billion dollars worth to be printed. Then he went on a visit down to Texas, and before these uh, notes could be even put in print, he was executed, murdered, assassinated. Yeah, I, I, I did hear that there was a, an ex- that he had issued an executive order, uh, and he wanted the printing of money handed over to Congress, I believe, rather than... That's right. He wanted to return to Congress where it belongs. Right. The Federal Reserve is a private entity. It has no standing, no substance. It's not in the Constitution. Right. In fact, it's totally against everything the Constitution stands for, mm-hmm. uh, because the Constitution says that the right to coin money and issue bills would be 
vested solely in the United States Congress. Mm-hmm. So there you have the, 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 the crux of the matter. Mm-hmm. Just to abbreviate the subject, that's, that's the reason. Well, that's fascinating. It's really, really fascinating stuff. I think we're just about out of time. Tell our listeners once more again that telephone number where they can call to order your books and order your newsletter and also the website. 800-942-0821. Again, 800-942-0821. And the website is www.coleman300.com. Actually, Very good. It's just Coleman. It's not the www. It's just Coleman300.com. Fantastic. Well, thank you very much. All the Dr. books. Dr. Coleman, thank you very much. Uh, it's really been a fascinating discussion. I think we need to come back and have you on again sometime if you're willing. Thank you. Uh, I'd be happy to do that. Would be great to have you. It's, uh, it's really interesting, really interesting stuff, and I think vital information uh, people need to know about uh, so they can sort of understand why the policies are being implemented that are being implemented, why the American people are being hurt and, and who is benefiting from it. So thank you very much. Folks, don't go away. We're going to be right back. I'm going to be, going to be talking to our next guest. Uh, we're going to be talking to um, the CEO of Helio Resource Corp., which is a very, I think, a very interesting, very promising corporation, a very promising gold exploration company in West Africa. Don't go away. We'll be right back. America Business Network, the bottom line in business. American Manganese Incorporated controls the largest deposit of manganese in the southwest United States, and their 43101 preliminary economic evaluation includes the potential to be the lowest cost producer of electrolytic manganese in the world. A National Instrument 43101 report of 14.9 billion pounds of indicated and 3.5 billion pounds inferred. Go to www.americanmanganeseinc.com. Meadow Bay Gold is a gold exploration, pre-production, and development company focused on developing its flagship project, the Atlanta Gold Mine in Nevada. Meadow Bay Gold has recently announced a significant gold porphyry discovery at the Atlanta Mine and is currently conducting a significant drill program. Meadow Bay Gold trades under the symbol MAYGF on the OTCQX or MAY on the TSX Venture Exchange. To learn more about Meadow Bay Gold, go to www.meadowbaygold.com. Gold in Nevada, the right stuff in the right place. Capitalizing on North America's gold assets, Marathon Gold Corp. MOZ on the TSX is building value through resource development in Newfoundland and Idaho. Q1 2012 is expected to be a rewarding time for Marathon, with an update resource estimate expected on its economic leprechaun gold deposit in Newfoundland, and an initial resource estimate is expected at the same time on its Golden Chest project in Idaho, a historical producer. Don't miss this opportunity to capitalize on today's gold price. For more info, visit www.marathon-gold.com. 
Ladies and gentlemen, the reality is that exploration for mineral deposits is risky business, though the rewards for shareholders can be enormous. At Millrock Resources, we don't believe in risking your investment on a treasure hunt. We believe in leveraging shareholder capital to generate projects and partnering with mining giants such as Kinross, Ballet, Inmet, and Tech to fund our exploration in the mining-friendly states of Alaska and Arizona. By utilizing this business model, Millrock Resources increases the potential of finding economic gold and copper deposits and maximizing shareholder wealth. For more information, please visit us at www.millrockresources.com or find us on the TSX Venture under MRO. Rypatch Gold Corp. is an exploration company seeking to build a sizable inventory of gold and silver resource assets in mining-friendly Nevada, the world's fourth richest gold region. This well-funded company now has 1.2 million ounces of gold and gold equivalent in the measured and indicated category, plus 2.7 million ounces of gold and gold equivalent in the inferred category, with ongoing drilling to achieve a goal of 10 million ounces of gold. For more info on RPM, please visit our website at w www.rypatchgold.com Voice America Business Network The bottom line in business You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host Jay Taylor if you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me again for a second time Richard Williams. He's the CEO and Director of Helio Resources. Helio Resources trades in Toronto under the symbol HRC. You can also buy it in the United States, as I have, under the symbol H-E-L-O-F. F is in Frank. There's uh, approximately 110 million shares outstanding, selling at uh, $0.34 cents today, Canadian. Uh, Helio is active in two African countries, namely Tanzania and Namibia. I should mention for the sake of full disclosure that uh, I do own Helio Resources myself. Helio is a sponsor to this show, and uh, also it is a recommendation in my newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks. Welcome again, Richard, to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. Jay, thank you for having me on today. Really good to have you. You're speaking to us from London. It's getting a bit late there. I thank you for staying up uh, and talking to us. You are, as I as I mentioned, involved in Tanzania and Namibia, uh, but it's my understanding that your most advanced project at this stage, at least, is called the SMP project in Tanzania. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. The, the, the two projects, the SMP gold project in Tanzania and the Damara gold project in Namibia, um, we've owned for a number of years, but we've uh, published a 43-101 resource on the SMP project in late uh, 2010, and we've done about 16,000 meters of drilling on that project last year, and we expect to have an updated resource from that project uh, towards the end of this month or early in February. And then in Namibia, we've made a new gold discovery on what we call the, uh, the Gold Cop target, which is about 40 kilometers to the northeast of a 6 million ounce gold mine that's operated by Anglo Gold Ashanti. Hmm. 
Oh, and uh, are both of those surface targets, both of those are open pitable targets or, or not? Uh, correct, yes. The, uh, the project in Tanzania, the resource that we published at a 0.3 cutoff had about 940,000 ounces, of which 60% was in the measured and indicated category. Uh, it outcrops that surface, so it's an open pitable target, but at the same time, all of the drilling suggests that the mineralization is open to depth, and the two deepest holes we've drilled went through 50 meters at almost 3 grams gold and 28 meters at 5 grams gold, so a very strong potential to expand that resource into an underground operation in, in the future. And what is your, uh, what is your average grade on that uh, 940,000 ounces with a, um, point, with a 0.3 gram cutoff? The measured and indicated resource grade is around 1.55 grams per ton, mm-hmm. and the inferred category, the balance of the resource, is about 1.24, which compares favorably with uh, a lot of the resources that are being published today on the open pit side, which typically are in the, uh, the one gram range. What I should also point out is that we have completed uh, initial metallurgical test work and through conventional milling and cyanidation, uh, we're looking at 95% recovery, so it's uh, it's pointing to a very positive project. So with uh, with so good returns, good good uh, recovery rates, uh, nothing complicated. Then I guess with the metallurgy, is it free milling gold or is it? Yeah, it's to... free gold. Uh, we suspected uh, such because there was uh, some historical production on the project in the 1940s and 50s which also used cyanide to recover the gold. And the test work we did on the tailings from that project showed that uh, there was very little gold left. So we were fairly confident right at the start of the project that recoveries would not be an issue or a risk aspect uh, for, the, for the project there. Okay, so you've drilled 16,000 meters. Are those diamond drilling? Is that diamond drilling? It's a combination of diamond and RC drilling. And the focus last year was... Uh, I guess twofold. One was to expand on the resource potential at what we call porcupine. Uh, that made up about 55% of the previous resource, and we were successful in expanding the resource westwards and also picking up a number of new zones in the footwall of the porcupine resource. So that was very positive. And then we also tested four new targets, uh, GAP, to the east of Porcupine, uh, Tumbili to the southwest, Chura uh, fairly close to the west, and then more recently Kono Kono, which is between the Porcupine and Kenge resource areas. We've published today the results from the Tumbili area where we've proven continuous mineralization over a 1.2-kilometer strike length east to west and also discovered a new high-grade zone that seems to trend to the northwest where we went through two meters of almost 18 grams a ton mm. or in excess of half an ounce uh, fairly close to surface. Oh, really nice. So those those grades could really uh, sort of average up, uh, I suppose, and bring your average grades higher. Chen, do you have any questions? Uh, when are you going to get, get a new update on 43101? And uh, we, we're hoping to see that uh, certainly before the Indaba conference, uh, which is in early February next month. And that would be the 43101 on the SMP project only. You don't have any resource yet on your uh, on Namibian project, right? 
Correct. Um, it would just be from the Tanzanian asset. Uh, well, I mean, so how much you, you so you've got this 940,000 ounce resource. How much of your target area um, is accounted for in that? Well, if you just look at the Porcupine and Kenge, which uh, combined have a strike length in the order of uh, 2.5, 2 to 2.5 kilometers. Uh, we tested four new areas towards the end of last year, namely, as I mentioned earlier, Gap, Tumbili, Chura, and Kona Kono. They offer a, an additional four kilometers of strike length, which would all be new to the resource area. And on top of that, we've probably got in excess of another 30 kilometers of structures, geochem anomalies, uh, magnetic anomalies or areas with artisanal workings which are not included uh, in the resource but are open for resource expansion in the future. Yeah. So from our so perspective, you know, I, I think the resource potential is is much more significant than the current level. Multi-million ounce potential, you would think, given the fact that you have so much, even from last year's drilling that will come in, and as uh, Chen just, you just answered Chen's question, by February, sometime you expect to have an updated 43101 resource. What um, um, I'm wondering. So you've you've got um, all that drilling going on. How are you financed, and and what will how much will you be spending on this project in uh, 2012? Well, the, pl the plan over the next few months in Tanzania is to get the resource update out. Uh, we've also conducted a high uh, high density soil sample program in the area between the Kenge and Porcupine targets. So that would cover Kona Kono, and we expect that to um, identify new areas for prospecting. On the back of the resource, we will look at doing a, a scoping study or PEA that we expect to complete by June this year. And I think that will set the stage for showing the economics of the project. And on top of that, if we can do some drilling on GAP from Bili, Kona Kono, and some infill drilling at Chura, we expect to see by the end of this year uh, the makings of certainly uh, much closer to two or maybe over two million ounce resource in Tanzania. And you said you may have some economic numbers to talk about when? Uh, by June, end of June this year. By the middle of this year, then, in other words. Yeah. And that's on one project. You. We have three minutes until we uh, till break time here, so I want to get also on to the Namibian project. Talk to us just briefly about that because you've had some very exciting results coming out of there. Yeah, the project we have in Namibia is immediately east of Anglo Gold's Navachab mine. Uh, Navachab's been in production 22 years. It's got over 5 million ounces left in resource. We have the same geology. We made a new discovery in the middle of last year, which went through 50 meters of 2 grams gold, 0.8 copper, uh, half an ounce silver. We've now drilled mineralization over a one-and-a-half-kilometer strike length, uh, northeast to southwest, and we've identified four different types of mineralization. And the bulk of the mineralization is hosted in what we call a dolomite, and we've now traced that dolomite over a strike length of about seven kilometers. Hmm. We've... We've covered that area with a soil sample survey just before Christmas, and we should have the results of that in the next month. 
Uh, we also completed another close to 1,500 meters of RC drilling before the end of last year, uh, which was targeting the extension of some of the high-grade massive sulfides that we'd picked up and also looking at the extension of mineralization to depth. So visually, it looks positive. Um, and with the soil sample program, we expect to be delineating a number of other targets which would show what we believe is similar potential to what Anglo has at the Navichab operation. Wow, that's that's exciting. Uh, so do you expect to come up with a 43-101 this year on, on your... Our ideas right now are looking at uh, conducting another eight to 10,000 meters of RC drilling in Namibia, and that would test all the new targets that uh, are close by to the Gold Carp area discovery. And we think that that would show significant resource potential this year. I'm not sure we'll be in a position to do a 43-101, but at the same time, I think it will show that we're onto something very significant. I wish we had more time. I don't know. Chen, would you have a, another quick question? Um, not at this moment. Okay, well, well, we'll think about it. There's so much to really think about here. You've got an awful lot of things going on. I guess maybe one just, um, all right, I guess, I guess we, better, we better wrap it up. We just don't have more time, but we'll, we'd be happy to have you on again sometime, and we can explore this further, and I uh, think I should give you a call as well and uh, update my subscribers uh, with some of this. It's very exciting. Thank you so much. Uh, folks, don't go away. You're going to be right back with Chen Lin for the wrap-up on today's show. Thank you, uh, Thank you, Mr. Williams. Thank you, Dick. Thank you. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. American Manganese Incorporated controls the largest deposit of manganese in the southwest United States, and their 43101 preliminary economic evaluation includes the potential to be the lowest cost producer of electrolytic manganese in the world. A National Instrument 43101 report of 14.9 billion pounds of indicated and 3.5 billion pounds inferred. Go to www.americanmanganeseinc.com. Meadow Bay Gold is a gold exploration, pre-production, and development company focused on developing its flagship project, the Atlanta Gold Mine in Nevada. Meadow Bay Gold has recently announced a significant gold porphyry discovery at the Atlanta Mine and is currently conducting a significant drill program. Meadow Bay Gold trades under the symbol MAYGF on the OTCQX or MAY on the TSX Venture Exchange. To learn more about Meadow Bay Gold, go to www.meadowbaygold.com. Gold in Nevada, the right stuff in the right place. Capitalizing on North America's gold assets, Marathon Gold Corp. MOZ on the TSX is building value through resource development in Newfoundland and Idaho. Q1 2012 is expected to be a rewarding time for Marathon, with an update resource estimate expected on its economic leprechaun gold deposit in Newfoundland, and an initial resource estimate is expected at the same time on its Golden Chest project in Idaho, a historical producer. Don't miss this opportunity to capitalize on today's gold price. For more info, visit www.marathon-gold.com. 
Ladies and gentlemen, the reality is that exploration for mineral deposits is risky business, though the rewards for shareholders can be enormous. At Millrock Resources, we don't believe in risking your investment on a treasure hunt. We believe in leveraging shareholder capital to generate projects and partnering with mining giants such as Kinross, Ballet, Inmet, and Tech to fund our exploration in the mining-friendly states of Alaska and Arizona. By utilizing this business model, Millrock Resources increases the potential of finding economic gold and copper deposits and maximizing shareholder wealth. For more information, please visit us at www.millrockresources.com or find us on the TSX Venture under MRO. Rypatch Gold Corp. is an exploration company seeking to build a sizable inventory of gold and silver resource assets in mining-friendly Nevada, the world's fourth richest gold region. This well-funded company now has 1.2 million ounces of gold and gold equivalent in the measured and indicated category, plus 2.7 million ounces of gold and gold equivalent in the inferred category, with ongoing drilling to achieve a goal of 10 million ounces of gold. For more info on RPM, please visit our website at w www.rypatchgold.com You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number 4, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Good times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor. We've only got a few minutes, and we have so much to talk about. I just wanted to mention uh, we didn't get a chance to talk to Mr. Williams about political risk in Namibia and uh, Tanzania, but I must say that in terms of political risk in Africa, both of those countries look look relatively uh, safe. Tanzania certainly is uh, a home to a couple of major gold producers. Anglo Gold is there. Barrick is there. Uh, in a big way, uh, B2 Gold is building a mine uh, in Namibia, and Namibia also has Anglo Gold is there. So these are countries, I think, that are relatively safe. Nothing is safe in this world. Everywhere you go, there's risks. There's no doubt. No way of getting around that and, and perhaps as much or more risk than you would think in the United States, which is supposed to be a bastion of free enterprise, but those who listen to this show know otherwise. Chen, welcome. I'm glad that you could stick around. I just want you to just Talk a little bit about a couple of your big winners today. Uh, gold and minerals. How much is that gained today? Oh, gold and mineral jumped 19% today. It just come to a point that's too cheap, you know, way too cheap. Remember, we were discussing about the end of last year. We say, well, how low can they be? Yeah. You know, it was a 20 something dollar stock. Uh, generally, in this rally, uh, the stock was hit hardest, bounced back a lot. And then also, stock has a lot of institution stock report, support, institution support like a pretty mm-hmm. like a mar resource they bounce it also did very well so it's mm-hmm. like a two two areas that bounce very hard mm-hmm. well you are uh more bullish than i am personally and i'm not saying that you're wrong i just it's you have to go with your gut feeling about things but you're more you're more bullish than i am on oils and you've had a couple of your oil stocks did extremely well today too talk about those yeah, pan-oriented up another 12.5%. It's up 40% in the past two days. Wow. Uh, as I disclosed, it's my second largest position after the Mar resource. 
Mm-hmm. So I, I've been buying that hand over fist in the past few weeks at around two dollar area. Now it's up forty percent just in two days. So <laughs> I'm pretty happy about that. Yeah. Well, Mart is up. Uh, Mart is up, but there's been it, it came under a lot of pressure at the end of last year or, or early into this year because there is some strife over in Nigeria. Uh, what are your thoughts about that? Are you are you worried about that? Not much, because this is not the first time to try this. You know, the previous attempt has failed. You know, it's just like, I want to do it. Oh, sorry, I withdraw. So we'll see who's winning. You know, they may compromise. I mean, I heard the rumor is it's, I don't think it will be a long, prolonged uh, crisis. So, uh, you know, so, so actually institutions are using this opportunity to buy. You can see the volume of buying has been very strong. Yeah. Well, where did, uh, so where did Mart finish the day? Oh, Mart up about uh, 7%. Let me see. Yeah, 7%. So, you know, it's decent. You know, not the best gainer, but decent. Mm-hmm. 90 cents or so? 93 cents. Oh, 93 cents? New high. And gold and minerals, where did that finish, more or less? Up 19%, but where did it Up, up? 19% at seven uh, seven thirty. And that was how much? That was a $30 stock? Uh, it was a twenty something stock last year. Remember, it down mm-hmm. all the way to five and change. Yeah, and we talk about it. Say, you know, we were discussing. As I said, it has three dollar cash. I think <laughs> I don't know how low it can drop, but three dollar got to be too cheap, you know. But you know, it's just rebound like crazy. So you continue to like Mart. I know that you are overweight or have been overweight Mart to a great extent. In spite of the uh, the the strife there, you you like it a lot, and I believe. There, there is a pretty well confirmed uh, report that Mart is likely to start paying out a dividend, a special dividend. I think you said maybe 10% is the speculation, and then a permanent uh, dividend next year or later this year. Yeah, that, that's a speculation. Uh, you know, there's the people on um, BNN talking about that, that dividend. Mm-hmm. Apparently, the institution already got a year full of uh, it's coming. Yeah, so well, and when I the company tell you, first started you know, to pay dividend, it's better pay double digit dividend. Uh, yeah. that attract a lot of attention. Yeah, well, no doubt about it. I mean, of course, the, I, the, the stock is selling where it is for a reason. It's got the company has good cash flows. If it were selling, it were in Canada, or the U.S., it'd probably be what a five or ten dollar stock anyway. Uh, but you know, uh, given its growth prospects, and we've talked about that on the show, it is a very exciting company. Also, though, uh, you know, it's it's pretty volatile in its price, and can. For some of us older guys who are a little more conservative, it can be a little bit a little bit frightening at times. Chen, I, unfortunately, we're just about out of time. I, I do have to mention that uh, we are going to be going on uh, next week. Our guest is going to be Ian Gordon, uh, who is uh, suggesting a thousand on the Dow and a uh, four thousand dollar gold price. Chen, I don't think you would be in agreement with that. Probably that wouldn't fit your outlook. But uh, we like to have different views on this show, and, and Ian Gordon and Robert Prechter and some of the deflationists uh, are frequently on this show. I suppose we should get more of the John Williams and the inflation side of the story on as well. Um, but we do have only a few seconds to go. Ian's going to be with us next week. Uh, Chen, thanks again for being with us, folks. Oh, yeah, I just want to mention I agree with him on the Dow and the gold ratio. Oh, you do? <laughs> I agree on the ratio, but not the absolute. Oh, okay, so... Okay, well, we are out of time. Let's talk about this next week, Chen. Uh, we have to go now. I want to thank our producer, uh, Tracy uh, Trump, and Justin Jackman, my engineer, for making this show logistically possible. Thanks to each of you for listening, making it the number one show on the Voice America Business Channel. Till next week, goodbye, and God's blessings to you.
Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel.